The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So I'm happy to be back here in BSV. It's nice to be back in Melbourne, Victoria. Nice to be back in Newbury. I'm so glad I'm helping out with the uh, retreat center project. Probably all of us we know with the retreat center has started now, the building has started, so I seem to be the building monk, so I go from building side to building side. I left here a year and a half ago now, I went back to Perth for a year and a half, and what happened in Perth? We're building. So we were <laughs> building kutis in, in, in our monastery in Bodhinyana in Perth, and I just finished there, I think we did six kutis, yeah, so we did this, they're almost like fire bunkers that for, uh, the regulations these days, you cannot just build huts in the forest and pretend they're going to be fine. So we built this really, really uh, almost like fire bunkers for the monks. They're very, very nice. Tiny, but they're like like bank walls. And it's nice for the monks because they're so nice and quiet. So now I'm back in here. Hopefully I can help the community. I'm so I'm I'm so glad to do that. So it's, a, it's really, it's, it's a blessing for my life to be able to do this as a monk. So uh, somebody have, people you maybe notice now that people call me Ajahn now, and what's that? that's the Thai thing for calling monks a teacher. So we have Ajahn Brahm, Ajahn Brahmali, Ajahn Sutato, a lot of Ajahns from Thailand, Ajahn Cha. So I'm called Ajahn now. What does it mean? Not that much actually. And it's a bit weird, actually, to change my name again. So I haven't really, you know, it's not really like your name. It's just almost like a title, but it becomes part of your name because people call you Ajahn in our tradition all the time. And it's strange now because, I, I, like, I'm in, uh, in the Bodhinyana monastery and all of a sudden people started calling me Ajahn and they say, Ajahn. Oh, I, oh, they're talking to me. I don't even know. <laughs> you know, how, imagine it for yourself if somebody calls you a different name all of a sudden. It's bad enough to 10 years ago, changing my name, completely new name, like with Mudito, and now I have now another name. So, But this is the last one, I, I hope. I think that there's no more titles coming. So, yeah, I've been a 10, years, 10 years as a monk, and that's when you get the sort of people start calling you Ajahn in our tradition, so 10 Vasas. It's interesting, and I remember there was um, Ajahn Sayasaro was asked, he's a sort of, Semi quite famous in our tradition. He's a Western monk, but he lives in live, has lived in most of his life now in Thailand. But somebody said, after ten years, what did you learn as a monk? And Ajahn Chayasara famously said that I learned how to mix concrete. <laughs> and it's a little bit like that. It's as a monk, you you learn actually a lot of practical things. And unfortunately, I I knew how to mix concrete before I became a monk, so I didn't learn how to mix concrete. And, but I've mixed a lot of concrete, even as a monk. That's interesting. I, um, we did, when I, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I went to Bodhinyana, we were renovating our kutis. Ajahn Brahm built them about 30 years ago, and so it was time to renovate. When I got to the monastery, we were actually mixing a lot of concrete when I got there. But uh, so, so we're building, as a monk, you build. And it's a lot of other things. So what have I learned as a 10 years as a monk? So I think that's going to be the topic. 
what 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 do you learn as a being a Buddhist? What do you learn as a monk, being a monk for a while? And I was just when I got here, I was sort of thought, okay, that might be my topic for today for talking. And I was when I was just came to the asana here, and I I bowed down to the Buddha and Dhamma and Sangha. It reminded me of what I've learned as a monk and as a practice practicing Buddhist as that we the these are the the basic things about what we we should be practicing is we have the Buddha is our teacher he set the ball rolling the wheel rolling the, he set the the Dhamma rolling so we have the teacher we have the Buddha the teacher the Dhamma the teachings and the Sangha what the monks and nuns now we have the luckily the nuns sangha as well we have the monks and you know and who've been practicing well and in, in the in the past and kept the kept the wheel rolling and obviously we have you as a lay people who keep practicing as well and keep these things going as well and as long as we have all these pillars going we have the the teach, we have this somebody to start this tradition like the buddha obviously we have the teachings going up. You give these people who give ear to these teachings. We have people who respect the teachings, and we have people who practice well, the sangha and the lay people. Yes, as all, all of us are, as a complete unit, we can keep this thing going. The Buddha, quite often when you know, I as a monk, you bow a lot. You bow every time you you see the Buddha statue, basically. You and I like to try to make it more meaningful. So for me, I take a little bit of time when I'm bowing down, and there's a lot of gratefulness what comes out of it. Actually, when you when you re, uh, sort of reflect these things, and I think um, Yasmin was just saying this morning about this one lady who got into the car on Saturday morning and drove to the school, and the kids weren't in the back, and it was on school day. So she realized when she was at the school that. Like, hang on, I'm just going this autopilot. And all of us, including us monks, we go on autopilot quite often. And that's why we should do have these kind of contemplation objects. And that's why part of the bowing down for us monks as well is that you actually go to the somewhere, whether it's a dining hall or here in the Dhamma hall or into your hut, and you it slows you down. You're doing something special now. You are gonna you. So you. It's a this small little reflection, but it helps you to sort of slow down, get into the moment. What am I doing now? Let's say I go to the dining hall. I bow down to the Buddha, and now it's time to eat. My reflection on then is after the before eating is that I'm gonna eat for the health of my body. I'm not gonna indulge. Just keep my body going just to sustain my body into this holy life. And you can intercorporate for your own life as well this kind of thing. Instead of going to autopilot all the time, you're in this headspace. A lot of us are, all of us, let's say, we're in this headspace where we constantly, in our own minds, and we're trying to figure out how the life works. We're solving problems. We're thinking about over and over again our own lives whether it's good or bad but it doesn't really lead you anywhere whereas actually train your mind 
into a certain way of thinking lead somewhere. And the Dhamma, the teachings, it has something which is ending. And that's what Ajahn Chah always said, that he, he, Dhamma leads you to the end. The teaching should lead you to an end. And Ajahn Ganha said, the other, other teacher who's a good teacher of mine as well from Thailand, he said, studying the world is endless, but studying the Dhamma has an end. And that's what you have to, why are we here? Why are we practicing Buddhist? Are we trying to improve ourselves? To a certain extent. Are we giving dana to get ourselves in a good place? To a certain extent. We, in Buddhism, yesterday I was just talking to other monk, we were driving here and we said, we always encourage people to give. And, but he was saying that it's, it's absolutely right, but it's almost like a half-truth. So we almost, we're not, as monks, we don't tell you half-truths. We don't just say that, look, just give, and you go to heaven. You're going to be happy ever after. That's a half-truth. We give to let go. We give, try to disappear from here. Why am I a monk? What have I learned as a 10 years? I've learned how to disappear more and more. Not to become famous. Not to become all of us, you know, somehow gain status. That would be half-truth. That would be even less than half-truth. And that would be make me, probably give me a worse rebirth if I would be trying to gain things out of being a monk. So, we, it's sometimes, I, I, and I, we talked about it with the other monk, and I said, oh, you know, Buddhism is really, really difficult because we, you know, we say these things and it's going to be make you happy, of course. But we have this kind of thing which is almost like a wet rag. Yeah, it's going to make you happy, but don't expect too much. Don't expect your life is going to be changing into something what is not. Don't, don't think that you are somehow because of you, you meditate, you're going to be all of a sudden better person. But only when you can sort of take holidays from yourself, then you learn how to appreciate yourself. You learn how to give metta towards yourself. You learn how to have more compassion towards yourself. Not by sort of adding more and more layers, trying to mask yourself. Oh, I'm, I'm becoming a better person because I'm meditating. Well, good luck with that one. Hasn't worked for me. You know, I'm just being honest. I've been a monk for 10 years now. I should start seeing something, right? Hmm. I'm seeing things. To be honest, I am. You cannot just, you know, be a decade as a monk and, and not, to, not to see any changes. But the changes, the change has been that I'm not so much worried about myself. The self is still there, very strongly, I must say. But I can have more compassion towards that. So that's your main practice. Obviously, we have to learn a lot of quite technical things. Buddhism, we have... Uh, all the branches of Buddhism in Theravada as well, we have a lot of very technical things. And as there's a lot of Sri Lankans here, you know we have 
what, how the mind is made out of, you know, nama, rupa, all of the things. And we have very, you know, and not coming from this tradition, I mean, or, you know, understanding Pali until I was 30. I didn't grow up with this. It, it's, it, it boggles my mind how technical this thing is sometimes. And I was like, how will I ever remember this? It sort of erupts into you and you start seeing these patterns and you listen to it over and over again. So you do start, it starts sinking in after year after year. But the main focus, it's not have to be those technical things. They are there to inspire you, but we are here to disappear more and more. So what I'm, what I'm learning more and more is to just have kindness, compassion, and same with that we were just chanting the Metta Sutta. Loving kindness practice is towards everything and everybody. So I another thing which has been a blessing for me being a monk for 10 years that I don't actually see my family that often. And a lot of people think, wow, that sounds a bit hard. But it, in a sense, it's sort of like, almost like a blessing in disguise. Because if I would be with my family all the time, it, it tends to suck you in. And it, there's a sort of certain kind of dynamics in the family where they push you into a certain box and you start behaving that way. For me, like now, I haven't been able to see my family for three, three years almost because of the COVID. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are in the same situation. But for me, I can see that it's, it's benefited me greatly. I can have this distance to, um, towards my parents and the, the clinging of that thing where I can see my, uh, my father is starting to struggle with his memory, my mom is starting to get ill. There is that loving kindness is there, but it's same towards everybody. And the, the attachment is less and less. So because I'm not so attached to my family, I can have more compassion and metta towards them. Because we otherwise, we tend to get trapped into the, again, into that kind of same way of thinking. We, this is our family. This is my husband. This is, these are my children. And when you lose them or something happens, it really affects you. We hear in news all the time, thousands of people are dying, but it doesn't really affect us, right? It's, you sort of feel compassion, but it doesn't affect us because the emotional attachment is not there. For us, families are really strong attachments. And another thing which is strong, you strongly associate yourself is your body. What I've learned over the 10 years now, not to let my body control my happiness. I was diagnosed with, uh, uh, what is it called? Well, it's an autoimmune disease. So my body basically attacks itself. I have this, and I was diagnosed at about, I think, six years ago now. And I have, luckily, I have good doctors in the community and I've been really nicely taken care of and I don't have to worry about anything really. But it, it's still a struggle. But can I do anything about it? No. It's not in my control. 
And these are the basic teachings of Buddhism. Anicca is the really a core teaching of Buddhism. Nothing is in your control. Can you control your body? No. Will it age? Yes. Will it get sick? Yes. Will it die? Yes. And it's same for me. Same for all of us monks and nuns. And same for all of you. I cannot do anything about it. I can have compassion towards it. I can understand that it doesn't have to control my happiness. I can. St I still have to. Might have to run to the toilet, and you know I cannot. And it's it's not nice. It's not pleasant. But there's nothing I can do about it. I can just accept it, and acceptance is difficult. Accepting that you will also get sick at some point. And then, when you look a little bit deeper, that's why we meditate. We're looking deeper into our minds. You can see that your own mind is out of control. You cannot control your own mind. It's almost like this, that dart in the mind where there's suffering. The mind, your own mind is causing suffering. And you get sucked into it. You're in the autopilot. And as a being a monk, 10 years, I've seen my mind looping, 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 looping so many years that I can just see that it's really out of control. We, you think, a lot of us, we think, we, we make ra rational things, you know, we think rationally. No, you don't. That's an interesting thing. The Buddha said, once you know your own mind, you know the mind of others. Doesn't take a lot of mind reading to see, you know, know what's happening on other people's minds. Because I know my own mind enough. Maybe not perfectly, so there's more to learn in my own mind. But I know my own mind enough that I know your mind is pretty messed up. I'm not, not really messed up, it's not really nice, to, but it's really out of control. One moment is this, other moment is that, it changes from morning to evening completely, not just week to week, it, it's minute to minute, your mind is so, just goes everywhere, right? Maybe it's just me. All of you are, you know, like you're perfectly, your mind is just, you. you your thinking is so in line with everything in life. We're just making things up, right? And that's a basic teaching again with the Buddhism, with the Buddha, with the Dhamma. And it's, everything is Dhamma in that sense. And that's what happens in your, your mind. You think your mind is going to stop how somehow in, when mind dies. No, it doesn't. It's an interesting thing about you, when you start seeing the mind and how it just keeps looping and looping and looping, it's just going to keep going and going and going even when you pass away. And these, these half-truths we give you about giving are not really half-truths in the sense that if you give, if your mind is inclined towards kindness, give, giving, all that, you will take that mind, those kind of mind states, Tomorrow, 
right? It doesn't stop tonight when you go to sleep. Tomorrow, all of a sudden, you be, you're a bad person. Today, we are really giving a kind person. Tomorrow, you're something else. No, it, it doesn't work that way, right? And it doesn't work that way same when you die. And that's why I've, again, I've learned to be a monk that I really need to stay in ropes. If I jump out of this train, I don't know what's going to happen. Not that I would become a serial killer, hopefully. But you drift away from these teachings. You drift away from meditation really easy. You need to say, oh, I need to go to the temple. That's your what you need to do as a layperson. For me, I need to stay in robes. And so why? Because am I worried about death? Not so much. I'm worried about what's going to happen afterwards. Where I'm going to go? The self is going to be there quite similar from day to day, right? That's how it goes. And it's same from life to life. The self is going to be sim- pretty much the similar. You just have to make sure you Go and listen to the Dhamma. Get inspired. By hearing the Dhamma, you act accordingly. You cannot just make up these things yourself. Again, there is no self there, right? So who's controlling your thoughts? Whatever the the inputs into your mind are. So everyday life, what controls your mind is that, you know, work your family, advertising, blah, 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 and that sucks you in. When you go to the temple, we try to pray in Yorshua the other way. So try to understand what the priorities are. What's important in life? And what I've learned in in 10 years as a monk, my priority is to stay with somebody I really respect. And that's being Ajahn Brahm. That's why... I come here to uh, help with the community, to te- uh, teach. I, we're building a retreat center now. I need to go back to you know, Bodhinyana when I've done this. I realize that I don't know enough. I'm not inspired enough. There is still a danger that I don't know enough. I'm not that, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, the good thing about Buddhism is that we don't have to have a lot of faith. We don't have to have a lot of perceive. Um, you don't have to just uh, endure stuff. It's not like we in here for the pain. It's you know, it's a Buddhist maybe the basic teaching that everything is suffering, but it's it's not like we need to suffer. What keeps us in the Dhamma is inspiration. And that's why we, have, we need to have good teachers, and that's why we need to support the Sangha, and that's why we, the Sangha needs you to support us. So it's, it's just, we have this beautiful loop where we all support each other. We inspire you, you inspire us, you, we keep the, the, the teachings going together. And you will get sick, and you will die, and the same to happens to us monks and nuns. But 
we just keep going and going and going until we disappear. So slowly, slowly, we all are going in the same direction. Hopefully, hopefully we can keep or keep disappearing faster and faster because the more you disappear, less you have suffering. The bodily sufferings are there, like I said, but you don't have to suffer because of your own mind so much. We have all lost our loved ones. We have all lost relations, relationships, rather. We have... We know how it feels, but we can understand that you don't have to suffer because of that. You don't have to somehow grieve for others because you know that's how the life works. You don't have to do anything just because you feel like this is how it should be done. It's a natural process, okay, I understand that, that the, um, so, um, the sorrow is there. But you can distance yourself from that by understanding the teachings, the basic teachings. You can distance from yourself from that by looking in your own mind and see what's, what's out there, what's, what's, what's causes, what are these causes and conditions? Why do I feel this way? So don't just go into autopilot this way, but just meditate and look into your own mind. And the good thing about, again, being a monk for a long period of time, I've you as a community give me that opportunity where I don't have that much responsibilities. People think it's difficult to be a monk. We live in a forest we have our own little hut, and in the beginning, it's difficult. I must say, I was active like all of you's. Um, you know, I was full time work, full time um, school, even just before I uh, came to monk, being uh, became a monk, and then it's almost like the engine's really hot. And I remember going first night into my hut in the middle of the forest. You close the door, and you don't have any entertainment. No one's going to come and knock your door, on your door and start talking to you. It's difficult. But then after a while, it just becomes the norm. It's, it's nothing really special. I mean, it is special, but it's not difficult, really. Why? Because I've learned to be kind towards my own mind. Because I'm not, I don't get too caught up with that kind of looping mind, what I have. I have the same mind, but I can just allow it to just calm down by itself. Just allow it, just give it time, and it will start calming down. And if it's really bad, you can, I can do a contemplation, something to calm it down. But that, that, you know, that's the next step. And it's interesting, I read the news, uh, I think it was this week, something I'll Prime Minister's assistant, what was it? Something, Barnaby, what was his name, the fellow's name? Choice. Barnaby Choice. Got caught, he um, got COVID, right? 
And he said, I'm not so worried, worried about the COVID. I'm worried about being by myself in isolation for two weeks. I was like, oh, sorry, I feel, <laughs> oh, it's so difficult. Being, what, two weeks he had to be now in a hotel quarantine or something. I was like, oh, poor man. And he's this kind of like really Aussie looking fellow. I was like, oh, I can do anything, you know, like just point me the way and I, you know, take over China sort of type of person, but he cannot be by himself for two weeks. Uh, yeah, we were laughing about it as a monk, you know. Uh, we just finished three months of being by ourselves. Uh, it's not difficult to be by yourself, or is it? Well, it is for a lot of people. It is difficult to just look what's in your mind. It's not just it's boring. I mean, boredom actually dies quite quickly when you be by yourself, it's just looking in your own mind. If you're not used to it, and if you don't want to do it, it's not happy place to be do that. But if you train, it becomes happier and happier. And the one thing, going back to that, where I just came here and I bowed down to the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, is having mind which has, has gratefulness. And these are the reflections we do I bow down to the Buddha, I bow down to the Dhamma, and I bow down to the Sangha. And it really, even that, the last thing for me, the Sangha, I'm part of it. I've been part of the Sangha for 10 years. There's so much grateful, gratefulness in my mind for that. Like, look, two and a half thousand years, monks in, before me have been doing this, I've been practicing well, not not everybody, but there's been this kind of long lineage of monks, and I'm part of that. I'm grateful for you as a, a people supporting me. I'm grateful for the teachings that we have them. I there's so much, and you, I was thinking actually to give the talk today about everything is dhamma, and everything is dhamma, but it looked like it slipped into this um, talking about uh, what I've learned as a being a monk. But so those are the reflections you do. So you, if you have mind, which is have kind, gratefulness, all of those things we teach all the time, then it's easy to look at your mind. I don't know what Barnaby Jones has his minds, my, in, in his mind, but I don't think it's one of those things. I think his mind is fault-finding. If you find mind is fault-finding, you see faults everywhere. And quite often we see the faults in our own mind. And again, I've been looping in my in my my own mind for ten years. I can see what's in there. I can see a lot of fault finding there. Do I try to stop it? Yeah, quite often. But is that the wrong right way? No. Right way to stop fault finding in mind is all of those things I said before. Even gratitude. If you have gratitude towards your own mind. Fault finding might be there, but you don't have to, it's less sort of, you don't have to suffer because of that. I can, uh, there's so many things in my mind where I just got this kind of cringe, like, oh, why did I do that? Yeah. Can I do anything about it? No. But I can have understanding of my own mind. Yep, I'm suffering, but 
at that moment, I'm looking that mind moment, which is on there. It's like, I don't want to look at that. Uh, just have kindness towards that. That's the only thing you can do. You cannot change the past. You can just look at the, what the mind is now and do that thing like, ah, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Be kind towards your own, own fault-finding mind. Be grateful that you can actually, you're actually doing that thing. A lot of people don't want to watch it. A lot of people have a habit of distracting yourself, drinking alcohol. Other drugs are, you know, in the same list. Very easy. You don't want to look at your mind? Yeah, drink some alcohol. Sort of easy solution. Yeah, but the mind state will follow you, right? You cannot drink forever. You can try. But it will follow you. And it will follow into the next lifetime. So these become things become habit. But if you have a habit of being kind towards your own mind, well, that will follow into next lifetime. So try to create those kind of kind habits. And that's what I've been doing last 10 years. Doing the wrong way most of the time. And once in a while, the good training, what Ajahn Brahm has been training for me for the last 10 years, kicks in and said, yeah, just look at it. Don't, don't, no need to judge that. No need to add fire, a fuel into the fires. Like, it's like, I should not have done that. I really mistreated some, somebody. I cannot not mistreat that person so from the teenage years. You know, said or said bad thing even a week ago. But I can see that, that okay, that was unskillful action speech. But I can only look at the mind state now and, ah, oh, you know, it's okay. It's fine. I can forgive myself. I can be kind. I learned from that, sure. It's, it was a horrible thing I did. But just still, forgive myself. Hopefully that person has, you know, didn't suffer too much and they didn't, weren't traumatized because of that. But the, I cannot really go and asking forgiveness for the rest of the world, what I've done. You can ask forgiveness from yourself or, and forgive yourself, rather. That's what I've learned again for being 10 years as a monk. Being able to watch my mind with kindness, forgiving it. It's interesting that we, in Buddhism, as a ten years as a monk, you know, I've I've learned my my rules. It takes a long time to learn the monks monks rules. It takes a, you know takes me a long time to start understanding Pali, the the, the Buddha's original teachings, or the language. Taking me a long time to even understand how the mind is made out of different things. That it's it's yeah it gets technical and it's there's all it's i'm remembering all the suttas and everything that it's absolutely and you know we need that and it takes a long time to understand that but these we forget these little teachings basic teachings which are not i don't think you put them in practice enough if you were putting them in practice enough you would be a lot happier person let me tell you 
and you probably would be willing, wanting to go towards being a monk or nun. So those are the things I've learned as a monk, for te- being a monk for 10 years. Now I think I've talked enough. I'm starting to see my, seem to be again going into loops. But if you could tell me what you learned or ask me questions, I would be very grateful. So thank you for that. And I open for the questions. If you'd like to come up to the microphone. Um, Ajahn, I do have a, a question for you. Yeah, please. Um, and by the way, that was, a, that was a really, really great talk. Okay. <laughs> um, you mentioned... You mentioned, I think you used the word, I'm fearful of getting out of the robes. Can you talk a little bit about that fear? Because fear has this kind of edginess and anxiety right. associated with it. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, how do you, how do you as, a, as a, like, what, what's the, tell me a little bit more about the edginess and that. Could you elaborate on that one? Yeah, for me, I personally, I, I kind of deal with um, anxiety and panic attacks and, and so on, and it has a. Um, there's a lot of fears. So that, that's it's basically is a fear of fear, mm-hmm. it's like a loop of fear of fear. Right. So I, I'm just interested in when you when you talked about the fear of coming out of the robes. I'm interested to know from yeah. a monistic's perspective what is that fear? What is that experience? Okay, thank you. Interesting. Um, I don't have that experience. I've, I know a lot of people ask us. A lot of people ask us about the. Um, oops, I don't know why I just did that. Anxiety and um, uh, these things where they get really overwhelmed by the fear, and then, like you said, you get afraid of the. You know, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, and you don't really want to look at it. So it, it, you know, and then the panic starts setting in. It's it's going to get worse. And um, not going too much into that, I've, you know, the, and this, it's a very common question, actually. It's interesting. And for me, it's a little bit difficult to relate to that because I never had that. I, I, I don't go into that kind of looping where um, the panic, panic starts setting in. I don't, I don't have that. So it, I, unfortunately, I cannot really answer that. For me, I'm quite a fearful person by myself. And I've, I've seen that in my mind. What happens in my mind quite often, slightly different, I go back to that, uh, why I'm afraid of uh, disrobing, but um, uh, I'm sort of, I'm, my mind is always, I'm scanning at people and I'm thinking, what are they thinking of me? Did I just say something wrong? Did, you know, and I'm like, I'm putting myself into their head. What are they thinking of? And the only thing I can really do about that is just to look at my mind and say, oh, that's a bit silly. You don't really know what they're you know, thinking. I don't, I, it's almost like I'm thinking, if I'm being really honest, that I feel that everybody is acting in a sense. That there's like a bunch of actors and their people are sort of playing a role. It's a weird thing. It's not that I'm schizophrenic. But I have this, when I've observed my mind, I can see that people are, I can, I'm looking at people, I'm observing everybody all the time when I'm talking to somebody. And I'm thinking, what are they thinking? 
I'm not really hearing them. And, uh, and that's another one thing when, I, when you observe your own mind, you can see that that's happening. But I can be more and more open to that, not trying to push it away. And I think going a little bit of what, what you were asking about the question, not try to push away. If you have this thing and you can feel that you're going again into that loop, you are afraid of being afraid. You start getting the shortness of the breath. You are whatever, you start tensing up. You can observe that thing. You don't have to say, like, calm down, calm down. It helps. But even that point of observing that anxiety, being afraid, of being afraid, of being afraid, and now it's going to, you know, now I'm really even worse. Even if you, if you can sort of observe it as a sort of see yourself as a little bit of distance to yourself, that's mindfulness in, in this kind of basic mindfulness where if you remove yourself a little bit from that, it should help. But you can actually physically also, quite often people feel that it's on their chest. For me, it's a stomach. It's always, I've been nervous in my stomach since my childhood, but perhaps it made my, um, um, uh, what I have now, the autoimmune disease, probably worse because I always worried in my stomach. But then you can actually physically just, you know, touch your stomach or your, you know, your chest or your shoulders. And it's, it's, you can just learn where you have those kind of tensing up is coming. Body is an indicator for your mind. So quite often, your your body is showing these signs of somewhere, and I'm like I've heard Ajahn Pram says sometimes that you can he he can he says that maybe that person got that cancer because that's where that um, that tension tension was in their body, or that's why they they stored it or they put it in. Whether it's a you know breast cancer, one lady and. She had a really, or has a really bad relationship with the son, and maybe she carried it in her chest, and then that could have caused the cancer. Who knows? But then uh, these things happen. So actually, physically learn where you you carry those things, and try to actually physically help yourself with that by learning where those trigger points are actually. You know, massaging yourself, or say, tell to your husband or wife, "Look, this is, I'm, I'm, uh, this is happening again. Could you just, you know, just put your hand on my my shoulder and then just say, helping me a little bit because of that." So ask help from others and help yourself. Going uh, back into the question of like, why I'm afraid of the disrobing? Well, like I said, I'm afraid that there's a simile from the Buddha that there's a stick and the one end is heavy on the stick and one end is light and when you throw the stick up in air what's end is going to come down first well most likely the heavy end will come down first what's the heavy end well that's the one that's your karma that's your mind states what do you take from life to life the heavy end is hopefully giving Hopefully, kindness, acceptance, having you know mind which is light. Hopefully, that will fall in first. 
that's the heavy end, right? But more, some people, it's sort of half and half. But still, if it could be that the light end comes in first. When it's spinning down, who knows what's going to touch in first? Who knows where I will be born? As a, as a monk, I'm, you know, in the beginning, I really struggled with the idea of rebirth. Like I said, in Buddhism, you don't have to take anything in faith. You don't have to. But for me, what changed my idea of thinking of, about rebirth was the uh, past life memories of young children. Really good books and, you know, quite academic. And, and that sort of got me around it. And for me now, it's almost like a given It's still sure it's faith based, but it's I you know strongly believe into it. But um, what happens if my fear of of moving away from somebody like um, from my teacher Ajahn Brahm, moving away from the sangha, that I'm I'm not into the train. I'm not in the train anymore. It's now. It's very easy for me. It's very because I get inspired by my teacher all the time. I live with somebody like Ajahn Brahm. It's very easy. Like, like I said, as if I'm in a train and I know whether it's going to that direction. It's, so, it's very easy. It's not just, you know, he does the, all the teachings, all, most of the teaching. He does the fundraising. And I don't, as a junior monk until now, I'm, uh, it's been easy ride. I don't have to make decisions, you know, take care of the community. But it's also because... The basic teaching on the Buddha is inspiration. By by hearing the Dhamma, you get inspired. By getting inspired, you your um, thinking changes. Your your uh, your perspective changes automatically. I don't have to do anything. I love it. I'm a lazy person. I admit it. I'm sorry. I don't want to study too much. I can. Just, I just want to. You know. Sit down, I enjoy the scenery. So it, it's been very easy. What I'm afraid? I'm afraid to stop out, you know, step out of the train and see where am I going? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that my direction will be going that direction. Meaning towards the, you know, Nibbana, getting towards the stages of enlightenment, even deep stages of, of meditation. I know as a lay people, it's, it's difficult to meditate. Because I know as a monk, it's difficult to meditate. How difficult, more difficult it is for you. So I, I'm just afraid that I cannot be lazy anymore, basically. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I'm actually quite an active monk. And, you know, I do quite a lot of things, but... In, yeah, if I'm not inspired, who knows where I'm going to go. I get inspired by pretty girls. That's what's going to be inspiring my mind. I just know. Okay, any other questions? Comments? Complaints? Do we have any online thing? Yeah, okay, good. Quite amazing, Ajahn. We've got 218 people uh -huh. online. You actually gave the first talk that we did online when we did a first live stream. Right, right. 11 people. 
<laughs> and it peaked. It peaked at eleven while you were just as you asked me how many people are on it's board. Like, yeah, it just probably went for two hundred. Then eleven. Everybody, let's let's look at this. Yeah. Actually, I haven't got my glasses. Are you able to read that? Yeah. Um, so the question is. How can we lay people get some peace while living in a world full of problems? I would really like to live isolated meditating, but due to my responsibilities, I can't. Mm -hmm. Okay. The thing is, and quite often, I mean, that's a complaint what we get as a monk. Because we talk about our own lives, it's to, you know we we lose the perspective of lay people, and, and as for you, and it's not like we're so different, but it's just we live in the community, and we we most of the time you hang out with monks, and most of the time you talk about monk stuff, and most of the time you know uh, we like we understand how all practice or. Even as a 10 years, I'm starting to forget what, what it was. I mean, it's not such a long time, but it's, you're starting to lose the perspective. And we're sorry for that. I mean, that's just nature. There's, uh, you become a doctor, you talk doctor language, you know, language, and you're teacher, and you speak in a certain way. And you, as a monk, you speak in a certain way. And, you know, but as a lay person, what I would say is that, obviously, you know, you have to, Find a good teacher what you can what inspires you. Try to understand what the real Dhamma is. Really, there is a like I can see a lot of wishy-washy sort of half-truth Buddhism. You know, try to learn how to differentiate what's actual Buddhist teaching. Don't get sucked into spiritual materialism or and fake teachers. It's difficult to recognize what's who's 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 real and who's not. But you know, you have to really put your effort into it. The, going back into the question, how, you know, do you need to separate yourself from the world? Do you need to uh, do all the time long retreats and cannot be working person and to, you know, meditate? No. The Buddha said that, you know, the enlightenment, the, it's here and now. The Where is the mind calm? Where can you calm the mind, it's here and now, where it's basically the mind is never going to be different. You have to learn to, like I said in the talk, you, learn, you have to be learning, learn to just look at your own mind and, you know, accept what it is. You see, obviously, in Buddhism we teach there is no self, right? So what is the self then? Self is made out of thing, external forces, to, to sort of, uh, put it in that way. Self is a cause and conditions. So you, there are certain condition, uh, uh, causes and that becomes you. So be careful what you put into your mind. Whatever you put into mind stays there. You cannot really actively forget. So you have to sort of actively try to put yourself in a position where it's con conducive for your own well-being. So what causes good mind states is, you know, training yourself to be a person who is uh, kind. Really, you actively have to look at it. Training yourself 
you know, more like uh, your mind, which is more like have compassion. Giving, really, and giving doesn't mean just like, I'll give, give money. And you, you're just like, I just give, so I'm, I'm a bit good person. No, you give out of good mind, and it means everything. It means giving forgiveness to yourself. It means giving compassion to others. It means giving... Uh, uh, that's why we take five precepts. Why do we take five precepts? People can trust you because you are giving other people honesty. You are an honest person. Whatever, you can you know, give so many things. So all of these things, you, you're actively putting my causes and conditions in place which are good for your mental health, well-being rather, not health, but me- mental well-being. So understanding that everything is affecting your mind. But you don't have, it doesn't affect, Atom Pram has this saying that don't let other people control your happiness. Don't let other people control your happiness. You can extend it a little bit, don't let anything from the outside world control your happiness. Don't let your own body and mind control your happiness. You can just, if you be able to look at it and don't let it, I can still be happy. Your mind is throwing you rubbish. You can just say, yeah, it's okay. I can still be happy. Your body is absolutely wrecked. You can still be happy. Don't let it control your happiness. Don't let other people come and say, you know, like, oh, they see you happy and they try to push you down. Don't let them do that. Not that you try to push them away. You are in control of your own happiness. So, and happy mind is calm mind. That's what basically, basically what it is. Happy mind is calm mind. If you're happy, it's easy to sit down. It's easy to meditate. Most of the time, you sit down, mind is just looping in the bad thoughts of what the everyday life is. That's it. Uh, I can see the audience is leaving. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, just joking. Yeah, yeah, okay. There is another question online. Um, after isolating positions of body tension, uh, would the meditator focus on the spot, thus slowly washing away the emotional content stored there? Yeah, look. There's this underlying currency in these questions, like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna slowly, slowly now, gonna let it push it away. I'm just gonna be kind. I'm just gonna push it away. It's gonna disappear, right? You still have that hope of it will disappear, right? Be careful with that. There's always that kind of underlying thing. I'm just gonna be now. Okay, we teach you. I teach you half truths, right? That's what I teach you. I teach you to take care of your body. There's a tension. There's a seed of truth there. Of course, it will help. But don't think it will. Dis- you know, your, your problems will disappear. I'm giving you half truth, right? I'm, we don't have divine gods telling us this is how it exactly is. 
be careful there because you the underlying tendency there is to you want it to disappear you are now giving it kindness i'm pushing slowly now it's going to disappear right and then it, when it doesn't ah i thought they told me what to do i'm doing something wrong and then we get complaints look accept it really and accept that you know like it might not disappear and it might be there and it will be there accept your own mind make sure you see even those smaller defilements learn how to live with it don't ex don't even expect it will disappear and it slowly what was the i don't i can't remember the, what the exact word what they used that that um it's sort of slowly letting it disappear yeah okay slowly let it disappear yeah it sounds really nice and they're like oh this is what's going to happen perhaps maybe it will maybe it goes away and then it comes back and that's the most likely what's going to happen so that's why it's ongoing thing but the ongoing effort should be into that kindness accepting it will follow you I I cannot seriously I there's I nothing I can do about my body about my disease I have there's nothing you can do about your own mind well it was just all of a sudden it has disappeared and you don't see it it might be long periods of time and that's that's amazing thing actually being a monk there's been a long periods of time where these kind of fearful things in my mind has disappeared but then i get in the situations where i can't meditate maybe that much i have to go out here in the world they come back and again i just have to remember try to remember the right teachings don't push them away don't get angry at them gratitude kindness giving those kind of things they might disappear hopefully no guarantees there's no money back unfortunately Any any more questions? Good. Is there any more comments from the audience? Anybody brave enough? India, of course. No. no. <laughs> Sometimes when one starts, then everybody goes. What time we usually stop? Ten, ten, fifteen, ten thirty. Sorry. Okay, fifteen minutes. Somebody has to ask a question. India, are you the president? <laughs> Okay. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Chai. This is a story from Buddha's time. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a disciple of Buddha called Anuruddha, mm -hmm. cousin of Buddha. Uh, he was well developed, stream enterer, but he was stuck in the practice. He couldn't go to a sarhat stage. His uh, great friend was Venerable uh, Sariputta. Mm -hmm. So they had a discourse, a discussion one day. He goes and tells Sariputta, Venerable, uh, my friend Sariputta, I am perfect in my virtue. I don't harm anybody. I can concentrate well. I have psychic powers. I can see the worlds beyond. But yet, I can attain this stage of our heart stage. So when Rosalbu says, uh, my friend, you just talk of your 
uh, inability to attain this uh, last stage, the remorse in you. Then you talk of just talk of your abilities of con- perfect concentration, perfect virtue, psychic powers. There's conceit in you. So what he said was, let go of your remorse and the conceit. Just reflect on the death state. That's how you become arahat. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really fit into your situation, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, there's a little bit of it because yeah. uh, what you uh, he was stuck in that stage, but he was never going to cap ropes at that right. stage. Uh, but he was getting frustrated. Yeah. So uh, anything could happen. But he was a stream better. He would have been in a monk anyway. Uh, but similar because uh, he was having. Uh, happy that he was could do this and that. He, all those things are hindrances for development. Mm. Uh, not exactly a situation, but something like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Okay. I was nice of you to give the comment. And it's actually just recently I uh, uh, there was this, I've heard about this story of I think it was um, I think it was Chunda, there's different Chundas in the suttas, but one of them, they, he was teaching the, the monks and he was a layperson. So it's nice that uh, lay people teach us monks as well. Quite often people seem to be afraid of telling us stories and teaching us. So you thank you so much. And it's, it's true. I mean, sort of summarizing maybe that um, um, uh, your what, what happened in that story is that uh, he was... Quite often we make too much of ourselves. Quite often, you know, you meditate and you have this thing happen and you make things out of it as if it really matters. Uh, you know, we quite often we look at our minds and you think it's something really important. But like I said, I've been a monk for 10 years now. I can just see my mind is absolutely all over the place. And... And there's nothing really I can do about it, except giving kindness and gratitude and uh, compassion. But don't expect too much out of your mind. Don't think we we here to train you some kind of wisdom of otherworldly wisdoms. And I can see even the you know he was he saw the past lives. I can he can see it. he still couldn't get out. He couldn't get to the because he was making too much out of it. If if you have really radical acceptance, is that is where you can just look in your mind, and that's how it is. That's what's in my mind now, and there's nothing I can do about it. Don't make too many. If you adding stories in out of it, you can make any kind of story you want. My mind is this because of that. Don't don't bite into it. That's just you're getting deeper and deeper entangled into those stories. That's it. Rajan, there's um, one more that's come from come online. Yeah. Do you ever get angry? Yes, every day. How do you deal with that? How do I deal with it? Well, the problem is when you're angry. There's not much you can do. It's too you're too deep into the uh, in there. You no, I don't get angry every day. I mean, but uh, less and less. Luckily, depends who I'm with. <laughs> I guess. 
if I'm like this, it uh, looks like I'm very happy. But, oh, boy, do you talk to the other monks? And it's like, oh, yeah, living with Mudito. That's the thing. You know, like people say, oh, he's enlightened, you know, this and that monk or that nun. Yeah, well, you know, who knows? They might be. Go and live with them. Then you know whether they're enlightened. <laughs> Yeah, anybody can give good talks. Anybody can. I'm inspired. When I give talks like this, I see you beautiful people, and I'm part of this community. Absolutely, I'm, I'm not getting angry here. But yeah, give, come and, you know, into the monastery. And yeah, boy. No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm actually, uh, I have to be sort of grateful for my, I, I'm a fair, relatively easy person to get along. And I'm, because I'm partly fearful, I try not to hurt others because that's coming from the fear as well. But how do I deal the fear? What happens is like you're in it, you see that it's, this is really, this is suffering. It's almost like I'm, you should be afraid of fear. That's another thing where you should, it's a, you know, it's a wisdom in action to be afraid of fear, uh, anger, sorry. You should be afraid of anger. The, it's like burning piece of, uh, uh, of metal, of you, which you're holding right now, it's gonna burn you. You think it's, it gives you energy. You think this is good. You're gonna suffer a lot because of that. That anger, was it anger or fear? Anger. Um, anger is something which is really detrimental to your well-being. And you, once you give this, you're thinking you, you know, you're hurting. You know, you're making things right. Coming with anger. You're really making a big mess. Be afraid of that. If anger comes in your mind, don't act. Really. Postpone your decision. If you have to decide something and you have anger in your mind, just absolutely don't do it. Just walk away. Take a minute break. Try to change your mind state. If you act from anger... You're making a mess. If you act out of greed, you're making a mess. If you act out of delusion, you most of the time you do, so don't worry about it. I'm not going to teach you much about it, so you're deluded, blah, blah. Anyways, anger is really, it's a dangerous thing. Just, you know, reflect how dangerous it is. Try to quench it uh, with loving kindness. You know, try to quench it with if it's really bad, with death contemplation, I will die, this person will die, is this really that important? Most of the time it's not. Don't, don't act out of that. You're so clouded. It's dangerous. And that's what I've been taught as a monk. So quite often when I get angry, I'm, I, get, I get anxious. I'm like, no, 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 no. Be, be, now, now you have to be careful. So I just, just close my mouth walk away, then try to solve the problem afterwards. If I get angry, and you, you act, you say stupid things, you act a stu stupid way, afterwards, has forgiveness. I've done the wrong thing, I've said the wrong thing, then things calm down. If you cannot, sort of, Ajahn Chah had this story, and Ajahn Chah always had good stories. He said one, one lay person came to monastery and said, ah, oh, can I stay in the monastery overnight? I said, why, you, why do you want to stay in the monastery? Well, I can't go home. His wife is a bit mad. Why is wife angry? Well, I, did, I said, told her you know, bad things. And the agent said, okay, you can stay in the monastery overnight. That's fine. 
And next morning he said, okay, now you have to go to the market and buy a chicken. And in, you know, in Thailand, you buy this chicken and they, um, they're dead, but they're in the market, but there was, their feathers are still there in those days. And he said, go to the market, buy the chicken, you know, uh, give it, uh, you know, so uh, bring it to the monastery. But while walking back to the monastery, yeah, just pluck it, just take the you know, feathers out while walking in the monastery. And then, you know, then you can give it the dana, make food to the monks and nuns. And that's your, what you have to do today. So he did it, and next morning he got, like, got the chicken, blocked it while walking in the monastery, made nice you know, chicken curry to the monks, and, and then you know, gave the dana. And he said, then after the lunch, Ajahn Chah said, okay, now come and talk to me. So the man, uh, man goes and talks to Ajahn Chah and says, okay. And he said, now is the second part of that, um, the ceremony we're doing. And, you know, so this will alleviate your suffering. And so, okay, what's the second part? So that, that's the finishes that hopefully wife will be happy by now. He said, now, now you have to walk back to the marketplace and collect all the feathers and put them, actually, so he didn't make the curry out of it because the chicken was still there. So he said, now take the chicken and take all the feathers you blocked, plucked while walking to the monastery and put them back to the chicken. And the man said, oh, I can't do that. I mean, that's how, what, it's like, how can I do that? Ajahn Sah said, aha, see, that's the thing. Once it's out, you cannot put it back in. So that's the moral of the story. Once it's out, it's out. You said the bad thing. Ugh. You cannot put the feathers back into the chicken. Right? So be careful. Don't act when those, those things are happening. So happy wife, happy life, happy monastery, everybody's happy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, don't, don't block the chicken. Very good. That's that's how you deal with anger. There is one more. Okay, quick one. It should be quick. Um, yeah. What is the relationship between, maybe not so quick. What is the relationship between emptiness and stillness? Wow. Well, many things. Oh, I thought that's a quick question. <laughs> Who wants to answer? Anybody is like, uh, okay. Uh, Emptiness, as a, I don't know whether this person actually, you know, really talks about the emptiness, the shunyata, but the emptiness in where I come from, my tradition, as far as I understand, emptiness quite often refers to non-self. And stillness, then you'd be, okay, non-self, you know, once the self has disappeared, then the mind is calm. So, but the, it's very different concept. I'm not sure why this person is asking that and whether I understand the question uh, um, perfectly. I can explain it really well at this point, but they're quite a different concepts, but emptiness, I mean, uh, uh, emptiness as a stillness. Well, one, when there is no self, it's then the mind is calm. The, you know, the body starts disappearing the mind starts disappearing and has disappeared. There's calmness there. Nothing is there, just calmness. There, there is observing there, not, but not through self. You, you know what's happening. The mind is aware. But there's nothing there, but it's calm. 
And that's not what I'm going to talk anymore. That's it. I'm going to disappear. Thank you so much. Sadhu, sadhu.